0: Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 5th of September 2021, 9.30 service. Katie Lofman speaking in the series, How the Bible Presents the Church, the People of God. Well, it's great to be here, isn't it? And it's lovely to see so many people here in church this morning. And some of you I haven't seen for quite a while, what with lockdowns and holidays and all that. But uh, now we're here together and we're worshipping God together, along with all the children who are also worshipping God in their own way, in the groups. It's good to look around this building and see all these familiar faces and some less familiar ones as well. And we also remember the people who are less active and mobile than they used to be and they can't come to church at the moment, but they're with us in spirit via the CD recording or YouTube. So this is our church. This is God's people here in New Malden. And we're celebrating the fact that we're meeting together here again with a new sermon series on the church. What does the Bible say about the church? What is the church according to the Bible and where did it come from? So, today I'm going to be speaking on the church as God's people and the long history that that gives us, rooted in the Old Testament. But before we look back, let's start with here. We are the church. But of course, it's not only us, it's God's people all over the world. And because, of course, we all know that the church is not really the building, is it? It's the people, God's people. But God is not limited by time. So as well as being all the Christians everywhere in the world, it's also, the church is also God's people throughout time. So here are some members of Christ Church from the past. And some of those people are commemorated in some of these stained glass windows. And if you want to find out more about them, there's some history of our church on the website. But beyond Christchurch, Going back even more centuries, there are lots of well known Christians from history as well. So so that's what this book is all about that the children got given, and uh, everyone that a child should know. So we've got Fanny Crosby, and there's Fanny Crosby. We've got William and Catherine Booth, Rosa Parks, and John Knox in the pictures up there. And I don't know how many of those you know. But this Fanny Crosby, she was new to me, but she was a hymn writer, and she was also blind. And uh, it tells you all about her in the book. So that's an excitement in store for the older children. So this is the family that we all belong to. Millions of people all over the world. Oh! What was that? Gosh. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Oh. Well, anyway, so we're worshipping God today, along with not only millions of people all over the world, but millions of people from history as well. And they're all worshipping God where they are, with, they're the, obviously the people who died are with God already, and they're worshipping God, and we're joining in with that worship and the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11, it goes even further back and it lists some of the heroes of the Old Testament in chapter 11. Abel, Enoch, Abraham, Sarah, Samson, David, Moses. They form a long line leading up to the Christians of the New Testament times. And the Hebrews 11 calls them a cloud of witnesses to God's faithfulness, worshipping alongside us. So this is our church, God's family, Christians throughout the world and throughout time. And God's family was started when he first created Adam and Eve. They were his people and he was their God. And it was reiterated in covenants with Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, David, and again and again throughout the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God's people broadly meant the children of Israel But the good news in the New Testament is Jesus opens the doors to include anyone who will come to him and call him their father. And that's the church that we belong to. What an incredible heritage. In a way, those of us who are not Jews are symbolised in in the reading that we had by the Ethiopian, the eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Philip heard him reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip used it as the starting point to lead the eunuch to faith in Jesus. And for him, the obvious next step was to get baptized at the first opportunity. So that's what they did. He believed in Jesus and he was baptized into God's family, the worldwide church. So Acts chapter 8 tells us that he was reading from Isaiah 53. And you can see it there on the scroll in the picture led like a lamb to the slaughter. And that chapter describes a servant of God who bears the sins of the world and is despised and rejected. He suffers a sacrificial death and then he comes back to life and is honoured as a king. This suffering servant, the New Testament tells us, is Jesus. Once a suffering servant is restored to life, The next chapter, Isaiah 54, tells us that Israel will be restored. God's people had, over their history, been enslaved, defeated, exiled, occupied. But now they will live in peace under God's love and protection. Even if the mountains may shake, the chapter says, God's love will never shake. And then the following chapter, chapter 55, continues the theme of restoration, telling us how creation will be restored. Mountains and hills will burst into song, and the trees of the field will clap their hands like that song we sing sometimes in church. All of creation will be praising God as an everlasting sign of God's reign. And then chapter 56 rounds all of this section off with the passage that we had in our reading, which talks about a wider restoration. It addresses two groups of people who, back in Deuteronomy chapter 23, were excluded from God's covenant. They were not part of God's people, and that was eunuchs and foreigners. After the sacrifice of the suffering servant, both of these groups, if they worship God, will be able to be part of the covenant. Verse 4 in, uh, chapter, in, in Isaiah mentions keeping the Sabbath which was for the Jews, not just a commandment, but a sign of the covenant. Now God is inviting those excluded groups to be full members of his covenant people. So let's fast forward to Acts chapter eight. We meet the Ethiopian eunuch riding in his chariot. And what we see is someone who for two reasons is excluded from God's covenant. He's a eunuch and he's a foreigner. But Philip is able to explain that with Jesus, the suffering servant, by his life and his sacrifice and his resurrection, he has opened up the covenant to anyone who will serve the Lord. So then, to go on to baptise the man is both logical and shocking. I like this picture because Philip's got his arm around the Ethiopian and he's like drawing him into the church. So when Philip baptised that Ethiopian eunuch, he was acting out those verses at the end of our reading from Isaiah 56, 7 and 8, which says, just as God gathered the exiles of Israel, he will gather still others too. And God's house will be a house of prayer for all nations, not just the Jews. What a wonderful fulfilment of that prophecy, that witness to, to, that Philip gave was. And those others that God gathered throughout the New Testament, they became the church, the expanded version of God's people. And we're in the same position of, as that Ethiopian man. If we're not Jews, we're foreigners, excluded from the original covenant. But because of Jesus, we're invited in. And if we are Jews, we still need to come to Jesus to be part of that relationship. Isaiah tells us that if we believe in Jesus and we worship and serve him, well, he doesn't call it Jesus, but you know what I mean, uh, then there's a place for us among God's people. And all the Christians in the New Testament worked really hard to bring that prophecy to fulfillment. Living out and demonstrating God's plan to all kinds of foreigners and eunuchs and outcasts. And we're so blessed to be living the continued fulfillment of that prophecy. So, what does that mean for the church in New Malden? We recognize our identity as a tiny part of God's people, both in the world and in time. And how do we live it out? Well, firstly, what does it tell us to do in Isaiah 56? Verse 1 Maintain justice and do what's right. Maintaining justice applies to the little things as well as the big things. We all know when something's not fair, and yet we also have a temptation to bend the rules if it gives us an advantage. How can you maintain justice? In your own daily life and your dealings with other people it's a factor in nearly everything we do fairness and justice chapter 56 asks for a commitment to god to worship him and to serve him and it also puts a lot of emphasis on keeping the sabbath keeping the sabbath as a sacred day dedicated to god was one of the signs of the covenant as well as being one of the Ten Commandments, and it made God's people different in a noticeable way. Our Sundays are still special, but nowadays we don't need to emphasise the Sabbath aspect of it. We still have it in the Ten Commandments, but it's not a covenant responsibility. I remember visiting some friends once in a sort of quite a touristy village, and lots of little shops were, and craft shops were open in this courtyard on a Sunday and there was one shop that was closed and that was the potter's shop, the pottery, and that's because the potter was a Christian and he went to church and he didn't ever open his shop on a Sunday and that was a real witness to the rest of the village that his life was different, had different priorities. But as Christians, we give our whole lives to God every single day, not just on a Sunday. So every day is dedicated to him. Ours is not a a once-a-week faith. We don't only meet God when we come to church on Sundays, although this is a fantastic place to meet God. The Holy Spirit is in our hearts, so we carry God's presence with us everywhere we go the whole time. And he's all around us in the world. So we're with him all the time. And that's one difference between church and temple. In the old days, in Old Testament times, God was particularly present in the temple. So that's where they had to go. But with God living in our hearts now, that's why we can say that we are the church in a way that the temple goers never could. They could never say, I am the temple or we are the temple. But we can say we are the church. We are God's people. Isaiah 56 verse 1 says salvation is close at hand. But for us, since Jesus, salvation is here. Jesus, so Jesus updates that saying when he says the kingdom of heaven is close at hand. So close, he also says that it's within us. But both Isaiah and Jesus draw the same conclusion, therefore stop what you're doing and love and serve God, maintain justice and do the right thing. Because God's kingdom is coming and it's almost here. So that's what Isaiah 56 tells us. Another way that we can express our identity as God's church is by living out that openness that Jesus offers. Who are the eunuchs and the foreigners of today? Who do we see being oppressed by society and overlooked by the church? That question is hard to answer because by definition we're trying to see somebody that society has blinded us to. We need to take off the blinkers of prejudice and unconscious bias and look around us with the eyes of Jesus. Jesus went out of his way to meet people who were usually avoided and shunned. He insisted on letting all sorts of people approach him who others tried to usher them out of the way blind men, children, prostitutes. He even sat by a well in the heat of the day to meet a woman coming alone to fetch water. Who do we airbrush out of society? Who do we pass by on the other side, perhaps with a polite nod, but nothing else? Where do we need to sit to meet the people who most need Jesus? I guess each of us might have a different answer to those questions, depending on what we do and who we mix with. But it's a mission for each one of us. The church is aware of this calling And the church has done a lot in the past to bring marginalised people into its heart, whether that's been slaves or orphans or, more recently, divorced people, single parents or gay people. We and other churches are making efforts to reach out to people who are homeless, people with mental health problems, refugees. But the job is never done. Because society changes all the time and with each change different people are overlooked. Our job as Christians is to keep our radar focused so that we're not blinded to who might need seeking out, who might need that extra bit of encouragement to come to church or turn to Jesus, so that we can make them feel welcome without judging. One group who have been complaining a lot about being excluded recently is transsexual people. There's a lot of debate in the media about where they can and can't go, whether that's sports competitions or public loos. And I don't know how soon those problems will be solved, but the most important thing for us is that we welcome them in church. Transsexuals are used to being excluded and many transsexuals have suffered a lot of abuse So they can make themselves difficult to find, but we can engage with them and their issues on Twitter and other social media. And when we do, it's important to make sure that we truly represent the opening up of God's people, God's covenant love to all people. Because when we're on social media, we are still the church. So we have to really make sure that we represent that in everything we write, everything we post, everything we retweet. Jesus went to where people were, where they were suffering, and he sat with them there, even if that meant the edge of a well on a boiling hot day. And he listened to their story, and he told them about his love for them, and he demonstrated that too. And the main way that he does that today is through us. Isaiah 56 verse 3 contains these sad words. The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. But God wants no one to to feel that way and he makes it clear that that's not true. There is nobody that God will exclude from his people if they come to him. Instead, we want everybody to be able to say with the Ethiopian, why shouldn't I be baptized? And then like him, to go on their way rejoicing. So what is the church according to the Bible? It's God's people. And who are God's people? Potentially everybody. And particularly anyone who feels overlooked or excluded by religion or by society. God wants to welcome them in. He wants us to serve him. He wants us to serve them. And he wants them to serve him. Because he is the father of every single one of us. And we are his church.